Francis just issued a new document on the liturgy, and it's enormous. It's too long to record here. If I recorded it, it'd be about a two-hour document. What it is is a sell job from the looks of it, from my quick read of it. It looks like he's trying to sell the new Mass to you and me, to those of us who won't go back to the new Mass, who are traditional Catholics who want the traditional liturgy and the traditional faith. He's trying clearly to sell it to us. Here he calls for a lot of things that really are more applicable to liturgists and seminarians and priests. I'll give you some of the highlights here. There's two long quotes I'm going to give you from this. It really looks to me like we're beginning the next phase of him phasing out the traditional liturgy. So without further ado, let's dive into this new document, which has the title here. I'll pull it up for you. Desiderio Desideravi which is amazing that he actually has a, what sounds like a Latin title for something, because that's not really his style anymore. But let's dive into this, because this is an important document that we'll be talking about for some time to come. Francis begins by talking about the liturgy in mostly Catholic-sounding ways, though unfortunately it is filtered through some of the post-conciliar language we have since come to expect from him. Accompaniment, encounter, that kind of tired language. But there are problems, and they point to an agenda. He frames this with the absurd claim that Vatican II rediscovered the liturgy in a theological sense, that the council returned the mass to its theological roots. That's so nonsensical that it's not even worth commenting on right now, save for the fact that the claim has long since been debunked, but the modernists still continue to make it. But here you are going to see him refer to the traditional movement as neo-Gnostic, a sort of new Gnosticism. He never says it's traditional Catholics who are Gnostics, that's obviously who he's talking about here. I'll let him speak for himself from here on, though. Beginning with paragraph 17, quote, The liturgy, antidote for the poison of spiritual worldliness. On different occasions, I have warned against a dangerous temptation for the life of the church, which I called spiritual worldliness. I spoke about this at length in the exhortation Evangelii Gaudium, pinpointing Gnosticism and Neopelagianism as two versions connected between themselves that feed the spiritual worldliness. The first shrinks Christian faith into a subjectivism that ultimately keeps one imprisoned in his or her own thoughts and feelings. The second cancels out the role of grace and leads instead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and classifies others, and instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in expecting and verifying. These distorted forms of Christianity can have disastrous consequences for the life of the church. From what I have recalled above, it is clear that the liturgy is, by its very nature, the most effective antidote against these poisons. Obviously, I'm speaking of the liturgy in its theological sense, and certainly not, as Pius XII already affirmed, liturgy as decorative ceremonies or a mere sum total of laws and precepts that govern the cultists. If Gnosticism intoxicates us with the poison of subjectivism, the liturgical celebration frees us from the prison of a self-referencing nourished by one's own reasoning and one's own feeling. The action of the celebration does not belong to the individual, but to the Christ church, to the totality of the faithful united in Christ. The liturgy does not say I, but we, and any limitation on the breadth of this we is always demonic. The liturgy does not leave us alone to search out an individual supposed knowledge of the mystery of God. Rather, it takes us by the hand, together, as an assembly, to lead us deep within the mystery that the word and the sacramental signs reveal to us. 
and it does this consistent with all action of God, following the way of the incarnation, that is, by means of the symbolic language of the body, which extends to things in space and time. If Neo-Pelagianism intoxicates us with the presumption of a salvation earned through our own efforts, the liturgical celebration purifies us, proclaiming the gratuity of the gift of salvation received in faith. Participating in the Eucharistic sacrifice is not our own achievement, as if because of it we could boast before God or before our brothers and sisters. The beginning of every celebration reminds me who I am asking me to confess my sin and inviting me to implore the Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, the angels and saints, and all my brothers and sisters to pray for me to the Lord our God. Certainly we are not worthy to enter his house. We need a word of his to be saved. We have no other boast but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The liturgy has nothing to do with an ascetical moralism. It is the gift of the paschal mystery of the Lord, which, received with docility, makes our life new. The cynical is not entered except through the power of attraction of his desire to eat the Passover with us. Desideo desiderare hoc pasca manducare vobiscum antiquare patier. See Luke, see Luke chapter 22, verse 15. Rediscovering the daily beauty of truth of the Christian celebration. But we must be careful. For the antidote of the liturgy to be effective, we are required every day to rediscover the beauty of the truth of the Christian celebration. I refer once again to the theological sense. As number seven, Sacrosanctum Concilium, so beautifully describes it. The liturgy is the priesthood of Christ, revealed to us and given in his paschal mystery, rendered present and active by means of signs addressed to the senses, water, oil, bread, wine, gestures, words. So that the spirit plunging us into the paschal mystery might transform every dimension of our life, conforming us more and more to Christ. The continual rediscovery of the beauty of the liturgy is not the search for a ritual aesthetic which is content by an only a careful exterior observance of a rite, or satisfied by scrupulous observance of the rubrics. Obviously, what I'm saying here does not wish in any way to approve the opposite attitude, which confuses simplicity with a careless banality, or what is essential with an ignorant superficiality, or the concreteness of ritual action with an exasperating practical functionalism. Let us be clear here. Every aspect of the celebration must be carefully tended. Space, time, gestures, words, objects, vestment, song, music, and every rubric must be observed. Such attention would be enough to prevent robbing from the assembly what is owed to it, namely the Paschal mystery celebrated according to the ritual that the church sets down. But even if the quality and proper action of the celebration were guaranteed, that would be not enough to make our full participation. End quote. Francis spends literally 40 paragraphs talking about the need to better form priests and ministers for the celebration of the Mass. He's not really wrong about that, but he dresses it up in some weird language asking if we're capable of becoming symbols again. He refers to the liturgy as an art and references the need for pious participation. He wants active, full participation, and okay. But I'm going to end my little video on this here with his final concluding paragraphs, where he calls us to all abandon our so-called polemics against one another, if you can believe it. I'll remind you that he has spent every day, pretty much, for the last year saying, something to the press or to groups of priests in, you know, at the Vatican in eyes of the press that is polemical against those of us who have doubts about Vatican II. He never, they never try to sell Vatican II to us to tell us why we're wrong about it conflicting with the syllabus of errors and many statements made by the church and the hierarchy of the church from before the council. 
Remember, Francis is the one who called us guardians of tradition, and he called us rigid restorationists recently and how we are a danger to the church. Now, that having been said, here are the concluding thoughts that Francis offers. Most of the text is going to be analyzed by experts of liturgy. I expect Dr. Kwasniewski to have something today, <laughs> if not, and I'll, I'll make sure to have something for you early next week on all this. And I'm going to have to wait to see what he and others have to say, because this is a complex document in, it, in some ways. And there's going to be, there are a lot of problems here that I haven't covered, but I'll report to you as soon as what they report comes out and is available to the public. But here's what Francis has to say in closing, quote, paragraph 61. In this letter, I have wanted simply to share some reflections, which most certainly do not exhaust the immense treasure of the celebration of the holy mysteries. I ask all the bishops, priests, and deacons, the formators of seminaries, the instructors and theological faculties and schools of theology, and all catechists to help the holy people of God to draw from what it is the first wellspring of Christian spirituality. We are called continually to rediscover the richness of the general principles exposed in the first numbers of Sacro Sanctum Concilium, grasping the intimate bond between this first of the council's constitutions and all the others. For this reason, we cannot go back to that ritual form which the council fathers, cum petro et sub petro, felt the need to reform, approving under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and following their conscience as pastors, the principles from which was born the reform. The holy pontiffs, Saints Paul VI and St. John Paul II, approving the reformed liturgical books Ex Decreto Sacto Recenti Ecumenically Concili Vaticani Tudi, <laughs> have guaranteed the fidelity of the reform of the council. For this reason, I wrote Traditionis Custodis, so that the church may lift up the variety of so many languages, one and the same prayer, capable of expressing her unity. End quote. We'll get back to him in a second. This is what he's afraid of. He is afraid, and meaning also Roach and the people who put him on the throne of Peter. They are afraid that the traditional movement is growing, that they want, that we are going to get what we want, a, a return to the traditional forms of liturgy. And he says, we cannot do that. That is the entire point of this document. What he doesn't understand is a future Pope can do that. A future council can do that. The road from here to there, though, will be rocky at the very least, if not cataclysmic. But let's continue with Francis. Quote, as, if I, as I have already written, I intend that this unity be reestablished in the whole church of the Roman Rite. I would like this letter to help us rekindle our wonder for the beauty of the truth of the Christian celebration, to remind us of the necessity of an authentic liturgical formation, and to recognize the importance of an art of celebrating it that is at the service of the truth of the Paschal mystery and of the participation of all the baptized in it, each one according to his or her vocation. All this richness is not far from us. It is in our churches, in our Christian feasts, in the centrality of the Lord's day, in the power of the sacraments we celebrate. Christian life is a continual journey of growth. We are called to let ourselves be formed in joy and in communion. For this desire to leave you with yet a further indication to follow along our way, I invite you to rediscover the meaning of the liturgical year and of the Lord's day. Both of these were also left us by the council. See Sacrosanctum Concilium, numbers 102 to 111. In light of all that we have said above, we see that the liturgical year is for us the possibility of growing in our knowledge of the mystery of Christ, immersing our life in the mystery of his death and resurrection, awaiting his returning glory. This is a true ongoing formation. Our life is not a random chaotic series of events, one following the other. It is rather a precise itinerary, which from one annual celebration of his death and resurrection to the next conforms us to him as we await the blessing, hope, and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
At the time made new by the mystery of his death and resurrection flows on, every eighth day the church celebrates in the Lord's day the event of our salvation. Sunday, before becoming a precept, is a gift that God makes for his people. And for this reason, the church safeguards it with a precept. The Sunday celebration offers to the Christian community the possibility of being formed by the Eucharist. From Sunday to Sunday, the word of the risen Lord illuminates our existence, wanting to achieve in us the end for which it was sent. See Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 to 11. From Sunday to Sunday, communion in the body and blood of Christ wants to make also our lives a sacrificial pleasing to the Father, in the fraternal communion of sharing, of hospitality, of service. From Sunday to Sunday, the energy of the bread broken sustains us in announcing the gospel in which the authenticity of our celebration shows itself. Let us abandon our polemics to listen together to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us safeguard our communion. Let us continue to be astonished at the beauty of the liturgy. The Paschal mystery has been given to us. Let us allow ourselves to be embraced by the desire that the Lord continues to have to eat his Passover with us. All this under the gaze of Mary, Mother of the Church. Given at Rome at St. John Lateran on the 29th of June, the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, Apostles, in the year 2022, the 10th of my pontificate, Francis. What do you think about this? Am I right in saying that this is the next stage of him beginning to find ways to essentially end the mass, first by selling us on the need to go back to the Novus Ordo? Is this document to be something concerned about? His widespread citations of respected theologians and of Pius XII are giveaways for my idea that he's really trying to sell us first and foremost. This is the diplomatic approach, while also reminding us that in his mind and the minds of the modernists, both of the moderate modernists, the Mueller's who I have respect for, as well as for the hypermodernists of like himself and Jimmy Martin and others, that they are really afraid that, <laughs> that our movement will get us to a place where we can restore the traditional liturgy. They're really afraid that the revolution of Vatican II is coming apart at the seams. That's what this letter looks like to me, but am I, am I wrong about that? Let me know in the comments, please. I doubt he's being very sincere when he calls for reverence in this document, given that making the new mass more identifiably Catholic was rather expre expressly rejected by Traditionis Custodis a year ago. But let me know what you think of this document so far in the comments. I would record the whole thing, but it would be a two-hour document, and that would be not worth your time. So, as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.